All right, everyone, uh, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Anything But Typical podcast. And uh, we've got another Anything But Typical CEO and entrepreneur, and I can't wait for you to hear Chad Jenkins' story. And Chad, you've got a a ton of accolades and a a lot of accreditations that are worth noting, and we'll get into some of those. But I like starting this podcast by asking something that's uh, a little bit more into the heart of who you are. And so you were talking about you've got date night tonight. And so um, here's the scenario. Uh, This is with COVID um, in the rearview mirror and you are at your favorite restaurant, and I know you've got a great um, uh, assortment of favorite restaurants, and, um, and you and your wife are having a meal, and you overhear somebody talking about you, and they don't realize that you can hear. But here's the question. What is it that you would like them to be saying about you? The most notable thing I would certainly like to be known for uh, is that I'm greatly known for pouring into the team and being able to recognize the strengths in the team and then help them exploit those talents for the greater good and when you combine them as a whole, delivering that level of service to the clients we're able to serve. That would be awesome. I love it. That's perfect. So I will give everybody a, a quick background so people know who we're talking to and I've done better and better every episode of shortening this. <laughs> um, so Chad, uh, Chad's the president and CEO of SeedSpark, and they provide a plethora of technology and digital services that we'll dive into. Uh, it was founded in 2005, and you wear a few different hats. You're also a, a principal of the Charlotte Growth Partners. You're the CEO of uh, GenCon Builders, uh, principal of CTJ Real Estate. So like I said, a few different hats. And, and then you also you volunteer and hold multiple board seats for different nonprofits. Um, so we're going to be able to take this in a few different directions, but I, I appreciate you coming on. Yep. Uh, I'm excited to dive into it. And I want to start with kind of how you identify yourself. So right on your LinkedIn, you, you label yourself as a serial entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. So, so let's start there. First off, what does that mean to you? Okay. Uh, so, you know, many definitions for entrepreneurs specifically. It's typically, as I have come to know, uh, I'm lucky to be wired up that way naturally, but when I go to understand exactly what entrepreneur stands for, it's uh, identifying pieces and parts that need to come together to, and a business can be created out of it. So uh, to me, that means not just like a, a startup that's more conventional, where uh, my passion really lies is to look inside of existing running businesses and see dots that are that should be connected that are not, yep. and then creating a business out of that. So, no, that's that's perfect. Uh, and then the the serial part is that just you having a comfort level of having multiple things going on? Is it something you actually actively look for in your life? How, how does that play a role for you? Actively look for. Yeah. So I'm I'm certainly wired up to to constantly be busy, and I I do appreciate some level of complexity. Mm-hmm. Um, but serial is any time that I would run across an opportunity where more value being, can be created than what's currently being created, uh, I'm okay to, to start that and to turn it into a business. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if we take a look at that quick resume that I had, I had kind of listed out, mm-hmm. um, it's one thing stacked onto the next, onto the next, right? You don't, you don't have nine things that started on the same day. Oh, goodness uh, Right? So, yeah. 
So as you've built up, have you have you found uh, almost a comfort level for yourself or gotten to the point where all of a sudden the plate was too full? Um, take us through that a little bit. Yeah, I would say before the recession, uh, SeedSpark specifically was kind of recession a Recession meaning the 2008 recession? Yeah, 2008. Right, we're a couple of weeks away from being yeah. labeled into the next one. So, yeah, so. yeah, well, it depends on the industry. Uh, I feel like today there's just an immense amount of opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. but there are some that are sticking their head in the sand. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, but back before the last already named recession i had about 12 plus entities mm-hmm. SeedSpark was one of them that started i think you mentioned 2005 yep. or 2006 it was kind of the red stepchild redheaded stepchild okay um so it really started getting life breathed into it around 2010 at what hurt me early on is in running after it my own self so i certainly uh, wired up just to, to probably work a little bit more diligent than most want to and it is very hard for me to take a break right so yep. knocking in neutral is not really easy for me to do <clears throat> but through if you want to say like first career second career during that first part because it was very young and I had no formal education but I'd started businesses way back it was probably starting around seven or eight I figured out how to make money uh, so in my earlier years I would just overwork and that created success. Um, I did definitely get beyond my ceiling of complexity. So through the recession, we all kind of had a reset button, uh, some more than others. I certainly did. And at that time, I dedicated myself to focusing on the team and growing others for the benefit of enabling me to, from the outside looking in, very complex. Uh, The reality, not as much. I'm supported by just a wealth of people in any of the businesses that you mentioned and even some you haven't mentioned. Uh, it's because of the guys who are around me that enables me. Yep. Yeah, but but if you don't do it that way, yeah, it drives so crazy. Right. That makes yeah. sense. And you had mentioned starting this and kind of discovering it at age seven or eight, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so can you, take, can you take us back there of what was that for you really early on at that seven, eight of starting to figure it out and then through the, the middle school, high school years of, of really what you started to do and began to discover mm-hmm. that serial entrepreneurship. Sure. Uh, so very early on, I grew up around horses and way out in the country, about 45 miles from Charlotte, it's a place called Pageland, and I'm about 10 miles above it, even further out in the country. But I always grew up around horses and cows and things like that. So that led me to going to horse sales because my father and I traded horses. Well, I figured out I was very fortunate to be able to ride pretty well and uh, I could make a horse look like it was much more tame than it was. People would pay 20 bucks for me to ride their horse through the sale barn because it's an auction, right? So either you're gonna buy it or not, but you have to bid to participate. So the perception of this little peanut guy riding this big old horse or little horse and making it look like anybody could ride this horse, which of course was a perception, not quite the reality, but <laughs> it, I, many evenings I remember I could easily clear a couple hundred bucks, maybe two or three hundred. Right. So that was very early on. Which and is a million dollars to an eight-year-old. Yes, indeed. Out, out, yeah, the, yeah, out in the sticks. Yeah, yeah. there wasn't yeah. very much that I wanted that I couldn't buy myself, yeah. which well, I can appreciate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, you know, the, kind of the graduation of that, I began to be known for it and then started training horses because I, I, looking in your backyard, you always have resources at your fingertips. A lot of folks probably don't look that way. If you want to start a business, you got to go get money or you, you have to uh, figure out some way to, to get a loan. Uh, I've never done that. I've always tried to look in my own backyard to understand what resources I have 
and leverage those to kind of create some profitability and then just grow on that. So I lived in the country, I was around horses, Pe folks figured out I could ride pretty well, so I began to board horses at the barn and get paid monthly to train them, and that worked out. Yeah. Uh, the very next one, uh, started a landscape company primarily utilizing more farm-related assets, so a tractor and a bush hog and a trailer that was over on a, in a pasture, <laughs> take it to Charlotte and mow bank properties for expansion, so different places around Fort Mill where BB&T, and I think at that time it's first charter, I was able to secure a contract to mow, which is really bush hogging for those who mm -hmm. grew up on a farm, all of their locations, out parcels that they in the future plan to build on. Yep. Yeah. That's How right. old were you when you were doing bush hogging? I'm just curious. How old? Yeah. Uh, I could drive at 15 in South Carolina. <laughs> so thank you, South Carolina. So 15. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. why I asked because I uh, grew up at, at about 12. I was raking hay oh, yes. on my yes. grandfather's farm, and, yeah. and you could, I couldn't get on the road. Mm -mm. Um, Not legally, I could at go, least. Right. I could take, uh, or I could plow, and I could you know, do this or that with, mm -hmm. so I was just curious yeah. about that, that's great. Yeah. Um, as you were discovering that, that journey, I, I just want to keep going this way for a bit because I'm, I'm sure. intrigued by, by the, uh, this facet of, of your journey. Uh, what was an early failure in that journey that, that ended up making you a better entrepreneur? So some of those learning lessons from early on, whether it was 15, 16 years old, or, or even later on, really doesn't matter. I'm just mm -hmm. curious about that. Yeah, not so much in the in the landscaping business. Yeah. If you, if you would have classified it as that, everything was good would, there. No, yeah, no was good there. there. Uh, well, there was failures, of course. No. Uh, not understanding your cost of goods, uh, <laughs> and, and over, overpaying some guys who I went to high school with. That was a little bit of a failure. Uh, <laughs> now I understand that much better now. But it, after the uh, landscaping jaunt, I sold it right after high school and went into the horse and feed and panels and gates and horse trailers down at 521 and 160. Uh, after two years, Perina came to me and said they had a new concept store called Perina's America's Country Store. It's like packing a PetSmart and a little baby Lowe's hardware store. Okay. And then of course all of their feed products and then a lot of others. And I remember hiring this guy who had originally, or previously he had ran by Lowe's a grocery store. The guy's much older than me, of course a lot more professional experience than me, um, and I, I figured that he could just run it. That was not quite the case, and, and that almost ran me in the ground, because I was, mm -hmm. I was working a, a ton at that time. Uh, after then, it was Nextel business, because I figured out I could get direct communication and dictate the outcome of a delivery for a horse trailer or panels and gates or, or hay in a barn, make sure it gets placed in the right place. So I identified that Nexto was a, a, a great thing. Where I failed, uh, you can't outwork a team. So I didn't really realize that until I was probably almost 30. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and I was very fortunate to be successful along the way, but it was a little bit in spite of myself that I could have gone a much further and a lot faster yeah. if I would have turned around and put as much effort into going forward into the team. And that's what we do now, and that is definitely a large contributor. Wow. So that's the, that's the largest failure. Yeah. in my past is trying to do it all yourself and not trying to pour into others and i feel like that's pretty natural also especially early on in business i certainly made the same mistake with my first business mm -hmm. i tried to be the person to wear every hat instead of 
figuring out how to delegate and put the right people in the right places. Mm -hmm. And once you can learn that, figure out how to build the team and, and empower people and things like that, businesses can take off. Because yes. you're no longer the keystone in your own business. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting when um, when you look at that entrepreneurial journey where entrepreneurs hit the glass ceiling. It's when mm -hmm. they just they've run out of all, all roads lead to them or way too many, yeah. and they just they burn out or they just keep grinding through, but they can't do that. And I just think that's interesting because you had success at such an early age mm -hmm. because of how you worked and your work ethic and your vision and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. But to be able to pivot and mm -hmm. realize and you can go a lot further faster. And and I, I want to hear a little bit more about the motivation on that besides, hey, it's scalable and that sort of thing. But knowing what I know about you and how I see you behave, mm -hmm. there is an intrinsic motivator that is not just about, well, hey, I can have more people funneling into me. You're, you're very outward focused and a, a giving person from what I, I see. So what? talk to me a little bit more about that motivation. Mm. So, and I can talk just kind of in illustration it has always been very easy for me to enter a room, no matter really what type of business it is, and understand that pretty quickly how it operates and potentially some of the ways that it could operate better. Mm -hmm. um, what was very challenging to me, and, and I'll take one step back, to do that you have to understand the human. right? So if you walk into a room and it, it's full of executives or, or operations folks, there are different personalities sitting at every seat, and to be successful, you would have to be able to pick up on the, the body language in a room. Uh, so very easy for me to do externally. It is something I still have to work very hard and study as well every day to be able to do it internally. So the, the common thread there is just being it, wanting to naturally help people be better. Um, externally, the, the return for that, of course, is someone either taking advantage of your products and services and paying you for it. It's pretty easy to understand. So you're very motivated to do that. And it's it's pretty simple math equation, right? Yeah. But internally, to to then figure out, oh, you can only go to so many meetings in a day. And no matter if you're gonna close it just about every time you walk in, there's only so many hours. You have to replicate your efforts and you can do that by taking that same level of focus and pouring it inside and letting that go outside. Mm -hmm. So here, and a really clear example, when there's good culture in the organization, if you've been in one that has it, your clients feel that. Right? Mm -hmm. It's not really something that a specific person does in your organization, but when they enter a room, because of where they come from, they carry that with them. And a lot of it's nonverbal. So being able to figure that out and focus your efforts there has a much higher return. So, but it's up, the foundation of it is just really wanting to help people be better, whether it's a business that you're serving or someone who's on your team they're unique and have strengths, how intentional are you about finding those and putting them in a place where they can leverage them and be better themselves? So, right, so it's, it's the same purpose, internal, same internally purpose. or externally. Mm -hmm. The difference is just where you're employing your, your efforts and energy. And your strengths, yep. Yep, yep. yep. makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not everybody's goal to do that either, right? You're, you're pouring internally to be able to scale and be able to have 
people replicate what you were doing, mm -hmm. but there are also lots of entrepreneurs out there that like the solopreneur type lifestyle business. So where did the desire for you to be able to scale, be able to replicate yourself and, and move larger and, and uh, bigger on the external, where did that come from? So I, I mentioned that we, we have to be very intentional about our focus mm -hmm. with personality studies because yep. it's, it's hard to read um, your staff, even though you spend a lot of time with them. Um, making sure that I'm doing that enables me to do something that I'm naturally wired up to do, which is achieve. Like my strongest okay. trait is to achieve. And, and I've learned that, of course, through doing all of these studies. Yep. Uh, trying to find out what how my the rest of my team is wired up, I of course have to do myself as well. Right. So it is to achieve. Yeah. So okay. that that's where it really comes from. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. Is that like a reference to Strengths Finder or is it that particular Finder? one is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, another one that I I really like is it's called Print. It's not inexpensive, but it Print shares your three uh, strongest subconscious motivators and you're they call it a shadow trait uh, mine is excessive uh, moderation in excess I don't do downtime very well yeah yeah but to achieve succeed and it's strange mine is also competition but it's not the conventional sense of the word so I keep an internal score but I, I don't need to win the race it's just we're gonna continue racing until I win so is that what you mean by by not the conventional when it's Competition is a motivator, but it's internal competition. It, it's internal competition for sure. Like even in our space, and the, I don't know of another organization that is built exactly like Seedspark is from a products and services. We'll just yeah. speak about the technology firm, um, having managed services, digital marketing, business process automation is not conventional. Um, so it, it's not competition where I know all the managed services providers in Charlotte. I, I mean, I do care, but I don't really care because mm -hmm. we're here to deliver our services and products to the value of our clients and good luck to the rest of everyone else yeah. right mm -hmm. so it's definitely internal competition can I take us down that uh, a little bit which was I knew of you as a, a really sharp app developer mm -hmm. and because um, one of your employees had told me about that I also knew that you were big into traction and EOS mm -hmm. and running your company through that so I actually want to hear a little bit more of that journey okay but the you know you, you there are plenty of firms out there that may do app development and then they might do website or they started mm -hmm. with websites and then they went into app depending on mm -hmm. but rarely and to my knowledge you guys are the only ones that I know of that have taken and seen that opportunity of oh wait IT managed services and these other things because it really does dovetail into digital transformation sure. um, and helping you run your company, which is really, I mean, it's like one of those one plus one, they should naturally equal two mm -hmm. where people, but a lot of times you have people that are very, no, I'm almost engineering-like mm -hmm. in my managed services approach. This is how we do it, hardware, software, upgrades, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. But if you're really going to have digital transformation from website, you know, what's the UX, UI, what's mm -hmm. that experience like to the app development of the business problem it's solving mm -hmm. 
to keeping the trains on time and making sure that we don't have ransomware that's shutting down our offices, like, and even more so now, right? Mm -hmm. um, w when was it that you saw, oh, hey, there's an opportunity here. I don't see anybody else going into that and marrying those things together. Mm -hmm. So really where that comes from, and, and if you look back in history, in my history specifically, and I, I touched on it just a little bit, leveraging your resources to the best of your ability, and also I, I mentioned identifying things that exist in a, in a current business, but trying to find the bottlenecks, which if the, upper, the flip side of that is an opportunity. So a lot of times in digital transformation specifically, uh, it will be weighted in one way, it, it could be digital marketing, it, it could be business process automation, or it, it could be managed services as well. They're missing kind of also one big point, which is the human side, right? Because that's yeah. what makes most of this go. So SeedSpark exists today in its current form because of recognized bottlenecks in the process of the delivery of the service to a client who is trying to reach a certain objective. Once I identify, in one of the, those bottlenecks or a finger pointing, right? Let's say that you launch, mm -hmm. you're ready to launch the best website ever and you're with a, a wonderful website partner. They have excellent creative skills. Their user interface is great and they get ready to launch it and they don't know anything about domains or they don't know anything about hosting and it's, it's not replicated. What if it's an e-commerce and it goes down? So all those business type things that dictate the outcome you want to identify those and then we typically build services around them so today yes it includes managed services when we think about that we think about infrastructure and your foundation so how in the world are you going to grow your business by 20 percent if the wheels fall off that doesn't make any sense yeah. right so managed services has to exist and you got to be able to count on those people at a very high level then beyond that if you're going to grow by 20 percent where the wheels going to come off in your processes so that's one reason we do a ton of business process automation so that when you do grow that top line, you're actually not just growing it to fall out the bottom, you wanna retain some of it. So if you have your infrastructure solid and your processes are now scalable, now we're ready to grow, which brings in the digital marketing side. I run across <coughs> clients all the time and we get we're very fortunate to be referred for a lion's share of our business, but we will be referred to increase someone's brand and digital presence. Um, the first conversation we might, I mean, obviously we'll, we'll hear what they currently feel that their pain point is, but before we can do anything, I have to understand how that business works, but because if, if you were to grow one by 20%, new leads or whatever it is, what if they can't capture those leads? What if it takes them two weeks to turn a proposal around, right? We need to, f we would be better served if we fix that first before we turn on the faucet. Right. So the reason that we exist the way that we do today is really based upon that. And there's one that's not formalized as a department. You, you kind of touched on EOS and, and the previous communication. Yes, we take it very serious. Um, we're three or f we're probably four years in, but time passes very fast. We took it serious out of the gate. We also hired an internal integrator who was awesome. Uh, we now take it probably 10 times more serious than we did over the first two years. But we have extended that out in the way that we operate our managed services. So that's the way that we communicate with clients. We maintain a scorecard for all of them. Uh, and we use rocks and to-dos. 
and we of course maintain VTOs at the department level here, we also leverage that methodology on the human side of our engagement. So if they, if you're going to grow it again by 20%, but you have a horrible attrition, maybe let's have just a little conversation around that. Not because we're experts in it, but we're going to share what we have found to be beneficial and what has enabled us to grow at an exponential rate year over year. Right. Well, that's probably why the lion's share of your business comes from referrals, because it's not about technology. What's that's that? True. It is not about technology. Right. Those are just tools. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, you've got the full process in, so you're not just giving them something where they can grow 20%, but they're a hamster on the wheel because of the attrition issue or whatever that yeah. bottleneck is in the business. You're identifying that first, figuring that piece out, or at least identifying it for them, mm -hmm. and providing the technology solutions. Perfect. So we've, we've gotten up to, to kind of where we are today, right, with SeedSpark and what you're doing. Sure. But running a, a technology business uh, for an extended period of time, right, 2005, 2006 time, from training and boarding horses and doing landscaping. Because all those go together. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's a little bit of a disconnect. Sure. Um, which is, I mean, pretty common uh, mm -hmm. that you see people supposedly jump from one industry to another that don't have uh, connections, but they yeah. do, right? Like I, I used to run a basketball training business mm -hmm. and now I run a financial planning firm. It's, I mean, mm -hmm. <laughs> you wouldn't think that those connect, but there are traits and, and reasons why they do. So I want to I wanna find that out for you. What what translated from the training and boarding horses, from doing the, the bush hogging, things like that, to being able to run a successful technology company? Sure. Um, well, the, the horses actually mm -hmm. probably contribute to way more than would meet the eye. So you think about a very mm -hmm. large animal that doesn't have verbal skills, but boy, do they say a lot. Think about the last business meeting that you were in. If you did all the talking, how much did you hear? Mm -hmm. Right, so along the transition from each one of these businesses, the uh, inability to speak and talk with your potential client, if you want to think of, of the horse as the client, yeah. um, having to watch its mannerisms, understand its behaviors, figure out what its strengths were, that has transcended through each and every one of these businesses. Uh, so mm -hmm. I know that seems kind of crazy, but it, I, I rely on that a whole, whole lot. Yeah. I, yeah. I knew there'd be a couple things in there that we wouldn't identify from the outside, but mm -hmm. hit home for you. Yeah. So it, that's intriguing. Yeah. The, the training piece, whenever, you know, kind of the second iteration, when I began to train, well, that's a process, right? If you have two horses, you only have a certain amount of time, especially if you're still going to school, which of course I was, um, you had to figure out how to properly manage time. Uh, the next L, removing bottlenecks being able to dictate the outcome to the client, and I kind of touched on that, right? Um, it, if if you have horses, most of those people, they, I mean, they're pets, so you treat them as children. They want things a specific way. There's a lot of ladies that have and spend a lot of money on horses. So being able to make sure that we did it the proper way, and, and Nexo giving me the ability to have immediate communication and transfer that communication out to the endpoint, which is whomever was delivering it, is is just an, another way that it provided the ability to remove bottlenecks and have a much better outcome kind of the same way we do today yeah mm -hmm. yeah that's a think really about building an app for someone right um, yeah it's, it's the same you get a ton of POs that are automatically sent to you across there are still faxes out there that has to get into a system where we're gonna have to pay somebody to do it not really you can 
intercept that fax electronically, peel that PDF apart, go ahead and put the order in. When the order goes in, someone else is going to have to do something with it, which a lot of times means direct client engagement, where there's only a certain amount of resources and they probably have territories. So go ahead and automatically assign it to them, but understand their capacity, right? So there's some business intelligence there. Mm -hmm. And there's, so take that core model and then apply it to every facet of the delivery of that service to your business. Yeah. yeah. Same. Same strength, same skills, different arenas. Apply. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Perfect. Mm -hmm. So a question that just kind of hit me about the uh, unexpected answer of the horses, you know, yes. to technology, which like, wow, okay. And then listening to you un unpack that is really interesting. But I also, you know, we talked a little bit about Strengths Finder, and then you said print. Yes. Uh, so you you have a, a fascination it seems to me mm -hmm. like with the human psyche and just the way we're people wired. are right yeah. uniquely wired mm -hmm. so when you were talking about why people would hire you to go in and ride a horse where it's going through an auction or or a show or whatever you were you were naturally kind of tuning into this mm -hmm. animal that couldn't speak, but you were there was psychology happening right there, sure. right? Tell us a little bit more about even that journey on going deeper into some of these assessments and what drove it, and then like what you what you found along that journey. Mm -hmm. So our core value, our core value, and I'm not sure if other firms stack them in ranking order, but ours by far is pursue why. That's our highest one. The only reason I exist is. I feel like it's because I, I'm constantly pursuing why. With no formal education and to be able, fortunately been able to accomplish what I have been able to accomplish, something internally has to keep that fire going and, that, and that's the way to verbalize it externally. So pursuing why is what I lean on the absolute most. Uh, culture index we use extensively. So that was our first entree into it. Uh, and. As most small business owners, uh, especially if you think you can do it all yourself, uh, not from personal experience whatsoever, but <laughs> I thought it, this is hokey pokey, um, but I'm driven to pursue why. So I at least have to give something the amount of attention to understand it. The further I got into it and understood it, uh, the more benefit it provided. It, you guys walked through the office, you probably saw these little cards that are at each station and it tells you exactly what their profile is and also how to communicate with them best. Uh, we have quarterly trainings internally with each department around it and we leverage it. So I, I really thought I had it, fully understanding culture index, and then I was introduced to others. Uh, so, and each one of these, so I, w I wouldn't say that you can latch on to one. You yeah. can, but it's only gonna give you certain parts of the pieces of the picture um, I, there's two gentlemen here, well there's two guys, myself, and then there we have, now we have three scholars in the organization here. One is a gentleman who is the director of our development department. He is also a scholar, and from a culture index profile, he is wired up very similarly. From a Kobe profile, his, what is known as quick start, I'm an eight, he's a three. Wow. So, even though we, we interpret things a lot the same way, I always had the question of why is he a little slower to act, which I, I tend to go pretty quick. Uh, so I, again, pursuing why, 
just kept digging and digging. Now we fully understand it, so we communicate better. Mm. His quick start being a little lower than mine, he's a systematized guy, right? So yeah. big idea, all, all the ideas unpacked. But so here's the process for putting in place, but I'm not gonna hang around to put it in place. That's where his strengths are. So he's yeah. able to take that and un unpack it much better and then get it disseminated to the team and make it a process. So it takes all types to like build this big old machine, right? And anyone in the organization, there's one thing that I don't like to say, like I, I would, I hate to hear, I work for X, X being the person, right? Yeah. That person in, in this scenario is me. I don't want folks to say that. I truly feel like we work together and SeedSpark or, or any one of these other entities is just the sum of all those unique talents that are driven by Pursuit Y. Would you be willing to talk about some of the other entities and like I'm fascinated like because I'm sure there are entities that I don't even know that you that mm -hmm. you're running and you you can talk about as many or as few as you want but I would love to know I mean SeedSpark by itself is a a pretty daunting and growing mm -hmm. entity. Yeah, that would be that would be enough for most people. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you've got all these other things. How do you compartmentalize or how do you move fluidly through these various things that, you know, I, I know you've got a construction company. Mm -hmm. Well that's very different in on the surface mm -hmm. than a technology <laughs> company. Sure. So Talk to us a little bit more about that. Mm, to, to a degree, it, it would certainly seem like that from the outside. Construction, there's certainly a process. Right? There are humans involved, so there's personalities. Uh, and in the process, in construction itself, and, and the big guys are there. They give visibility through the process. Uh, smaller guys, and specifically the construction company that, that I now own, it didn't. They did a great job. They deliver a great product, but they don't include the owner through the process with higher visibility which really if you think about it very similar to Nextel right owner concerned about the delivery of that hay in Mrs. Smith's barn stacked the way that she wants it if I have the communication or that visibility the outcome is going to be better so in construction even though I, I kind of grew up around construction my father would do side projects all the time and then we've turned it into LLC um, later on in life it's I'm not a true construction guy whatsoever, but in that organization, what I do understand is that if I create a system that the construction company operates off of and increase the visibility, both the job costing in near real time and through an ownership portal where they know what the heck's going on, it reduces the interruption for guys who are actually doing the task. It connects the owner to the outcome at a much higher level without taking on additional overhead burden like a client relationship person or something of that nature, you can just forego that. Mm -hmm. So I'm applying what I've learned in all of these businesses, which is smooth out the process, give visibility to all the stakeholders, and your outcome's gonna be a whole lot better. So another one is, is CTJ Waste, which kind of gives some vertical integration to that construction piece. Um, ease of ordering, certainly clean assets, right? the ability to have near real-time pickup and delivery all of those things are just bottlenecks in the in the current conventional model that others haven't attacked they they approach it a little differently they want more contracts more mass more assets in the field and and to a degree a lot of them have moved to better logistics that's fair um, 
all of my containers or, or dumpsters, have, they're smart, right? So they tell me fill level, they call home once a day with a GPS sensor saying I'm still here, right? So it's proof of validation. If you think about a large company, whenever they receive an invoice, uh, it's some lady likely in accounts payable that might be nine states over from where that thing is delivered. Who knows if it were delivered? But if you would use GPS, which is a widely used technology, and just tie it to it, she could even see the progression and the trending, which is another benefit to the business. If it takes the capacity once a day and it shows the GPS location in, let's say, the middle of Wyoming, it's going to be, that bill's going to get paid faster. She could almost predict when she's going to get another bill because she can see the rate of growth over, over and over. So it, it, to me, all of, all of these components transcend across every business, which puts SeedSpark in a, in a pretty sweet position and being able to quickly understand how business operates and figure out how the, the core strengths of the team and, and technology can make a, a little bit more positive outcome. You had mentioned something that sparked a, a question that intrigued me a bit of the having the construction company, having the waste company, how they kind of some can, can work together. There's yes. some correlation, right? So, sure. Um, how do you, what's that web look like for you of these different businesses, different entities of how you can blend them together, have one complement another versus others where there's going to be no connection at all in the web space, but it still is going to be part of taking up your time, your energies, your efforts. How does that web come together for you? What does that look like? The web of companies. Yes. Let me make yes. sure I specifically yep. answer. Um, what exists today is because I figured out a better way to do it. That so that at its core is it. Um, mm -hmm. As for, it, I'm not specifically going to go into restaurants because I, I almost did that one time. Thank goodness I didn't. Uh, but flying biscuits are wildly successful here. Kudos to the owners. Uh, that's not one that I prefer. Even though I, every time I sit down at a restaurant, I'm evaluating the the processes that are happening mm. in a business. So for me. Um, the very next one that I start will be because I figured out a way to add value to okay. an existing model. Yeah. So it's um, not necessarily the next opportunity has to relate to not the business all. you currently have and solving one of those problems. It's just where can I see the next opportunity? Where can I add value or fix right. a bottleneck? Okay. Yeah. And, and really, seats where it gives me the, that outlet into everyone that we serve today. Yeah. Right. So. I yeah, that's it. actually really fascinating because mm -hmm. you're cutting across a myriad oh. of industries, mm -hmm. but you're seeing the commonality in bottlenecks mm -hmm. and process refinement mm -hmm. or just implementing processes where they're very arcane, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you're just old processes. Yeah. 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 I like that. The delivery of the product or service is very traditional and with slight modifications, they can drive competitive advantage and hopefully, ultimately, which is truly our goal, grow that intellectual value, which intellectual value, most oftentimes if you never heard that is gross profit, right? Why do you pay Apple more than you pay Windows? Because you perceive that you're getting more, right? right? Yeah. So helping businesses do that is a, a world of fun, whether it's something I own or just someone we're serving. Mm -hmm. So you said fun. And I like that because I think business should have a fun component to it. I think it must. Yeah. I do too. It must. Mm -hmm. um, you don't hear that a lot. No. But mm -hmm. I, I do think it's an important thing. So talk to us a little bit more because you, 
you seem to be, you know, you, you've got a fascination with learning. It's, mm -hmm. it's funny that you say, I, I don't have a formal education. Well, you've been educating yourself and you've been learning. You, you, you seem to be a voracious learner mm -hmm. from everything, all my interactions with you, which I just find fascinating. Um, but how do you, um, how do you keep yourself stimulated in that intellectual pursuit and um, translate that back and that fun, uh, you know, what is fun for you? Is, is that assumption correct that in intellectual, uh, you know, pursuit is fun? Definitely. But then how do you culture and cultivate fun within your various organizations that look very differently from one to the other, right? That is true. Uh, construction guys are just a little bit different than, than developers, that's for sure. <laughs> um, you know, for me personally, I'm very fortunate because it comes natural to me. Uh, I mentioned pursue-wise is definitely the, what drives me the absolute most. Uh, thanks to everyone that I've ever met because I've taken something that I learned from you and applied it or given it in value to someone else. We have internal meetings at each one of these organizations around the why, right? So there's a Seatspark Academy here, which is financial management, business 101, how to buy a business. And, and you would say, good Lord, why are you meeting with your team and telling them how to buy a business? Because if they walk in to fix someone's printer and they understand it has nothing to do about printing, there's nine people in a conference room that can't do that meeting. And they've been trained to understand how much that costs per minute, it adds value, right? So again, I, I mentioned it whenever you and I were speaking earlier, it's not about the technology, it's about the impact you can make. Right. So mm -hmm. we're, we're constantly trying to do that internally, which if you think about it, and I'm not sure when all you guys, how you learned about like real business, whether it be in school or, or just through practical application, young folks this, at this day and age don't get that as best I can tell, right? Everyone here has a pretty solid pedigree from a, a black and white piece of paper standpoint, but to be able to bring that knowledge to them at a very early age, many investment conversations, even on our, we have a COVID call at three o'clock every Monday, where, and they're able to submit questions. Questions about investing will actually come into that call, because mm -hmm. you see the volatility in the market, right? And a lot of people, we spoke of it earlier, we stick their head in the sands, doom and gloom, oh goodness. At almost eight billion people on earth, they have to move from point A to point B. There's opportunity to help them get there, right? right. So this is actually awesome. So making it fun is I think getting to a root level of understanding and, and pouring into the team so that they can understand why we exist. And to truly know it's not about the technology, it's about the impact you're making on someone else whether it be a person or a business, that's what ends up making it fun. Why? Because it's rewarding. Right? Mm. In the application automation space, uh, in some engagements, and you can tell it, you can feel it actually, when you walk in a room and you're having that kickoff meeting, you say, okay, tell us a little bit about it. Uh, people in the room feel like you're gonna displace them. Right? Oh, you're just gonna automate my job. Mm. No, 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 we're gonna automate the portion that's not fun. The things that are fun, that you're uniquely mm -hmm. wired up to do, that's what we want to exploit. Yeah. We want to give you the opportunity to do that more, yeah. not just push paperwork from one side to the other. So in our team, when they understand that, that makes it fun for them because they really interpret the, the value that they're delivering. 
in, in my example of, of making it print. Yeah, you made it print. That wasn't that sexy, right? Um, one question is, why are we printing? But <laughs> let's, for the sakes of, of argument, let's That's say you, you have to print. Yeah, exactly. Let's just say you have to print. Um, you're actually enabling to have a meeting to make a decision that, let's just say, that it increases the welfare benefits of the organization or increases the profit sharing because they figured out a way to save cost. That's a huge deal. And, it, and being able to track that all the way back to, I got a call, they couldn't print, and now they can print. So that's yeah. how it kind of makes it fun. It's, it's more about the impact. Of empowerment. I don't know if I've, mm-hmm. I've personally had a conversation with somebody about before. I mean, you are, you're empowering people to a level that nobody has ever experienced, right? It's like mm-hmm. these people going in and fixing a printer and they know the basics of buying a business. Mm-hmm. It's, it's unheard of. It, mm-hmm. it's, uh, can you talk about how you've developed that? Because you didn't just walk into the office one day and say, you know what? I'm going to teach these people a little bit about investing and a little bit about how to buy a business. How did that develop in your mind and how did that implementation happen? Because if people listening that are business leaders do a tenth of what you're talking about, their teams are going to be infinitely better off. And sticky. Yeah, sticky. that's true. Right, attrition costs big money. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've certainly paid plenty for that in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, So the how. Pouring into the team as intentional as you pour into your clients, first place to start. Because I mentioned earlier, you can only have so many meetings. A lot of small businesses are grown out of the best sales guy who was really good at another entity who had a chance to to leave and maybe take a couple clients with him that got him started. Now Mm -hmm. he's trying to figure out how to Mm -hmm. scale. So if, if you're as intentional about pouring into the team as you are in pouring into clients, that's what sort of led, led me to it. Uh, and also having transparency, right? I feel like the more that our team understands exactly how we make money, and, and profit is not a bad word. Folks want us to be here whenever things run off the rails. They want us to pick up the phone. The way we, we are enabled to do that is we create profit. So being able to transfer and share that knowledge which each and every team member actually ends up increasing the value they can provide in a much quicker way to the end user or to whoever you're serving. Um, We need it. What? You come back to the question. Yeah, Yeah, no, no, that's that's fine. So the things that you just said, um, I think are more of the the foundation, right? Because we've heard things like that before of, pouring into the team, pouring energy in, but then also doing those those basics of the empowerment and things like that. Mm-hmm. But but you've, you've taken it to a whole nother level, so I guess let's go to the why portion uh, of this. Of, okay, of so, so why, yeah, why, why do we do it? Yeah. Um, so the why for us, we have a very diverse team, which we're fortunate, I feel like, because we feed off of each other. I would want to give the entire team because here's one that I think we all can agree upon, growing up is hard. It's funny when you hear older folks say, boy, I really wish I could go back to when I was 20. 20 was hard, like the 20s. Yeah. I, was, I was, you know, from a successful, and, and do you have enough cash? I was very fortunate that, that was not a problem, but just the whole period is hard. Yeah. Without being exposed, even though they, they have an, a great education, real world stuff it doesn't yeah. seem that they were trained they had no practical application right. mm-hmm. and now they're just left out on their own right yeah. you have this diploma so good luck right you yeah. should just know everything that's the not the truth is the real learning Oof, right? because no you doubt. just get thrown into the deep end that's correct so you know, oftentimes 
I'd, I'd be happy as a clam to help any one of our team members buy houses, right? Running amateur, amateurization schedules and helping them understand, hey, pay that mortgage every two weeks. And I don't care if you can just give it 10 more dollars, right? Do that. And you're just shaving years off the back. These are really simple strategies that it seems like no one shares with the general youth population. They just don't. Um, so I want to mm-hmm. take a, a completely different approach. If all of those folks, if you can make an investment impact on someone who's in their early 20s to helping them just go, go to Duke Power and buy direct, right? Don't pay any fees. Just start buying Duke stock. Has a nice little dividend. Duke's probably not going anywhere for a long time. Helping them know that they're able to do that at such an early age and why they would do that and then there's a trajectory of it which you can google any calculator that you want on the internet now but there's no one who's connecting those dots for them so if i'm able to to enable everyone here to have the same financial acumen that i just had to go figure out along the way Mm -hmm. uh, that's going to make us all a lot more powerful and a lot more valuable Mm -hmm. so hopefully that answers your question it does yeah no it really does and it's the pursue why piece, right? Like that's mm-hmm. that's the why behind it. So mm-hmm. that's why I want to dig a little deeper. Gotcha. So, yeah. No, thanks. I appreciate that. Um, and and I know we're getting close to an hour, so I don't want to keep you too long. But we've got a few more things that that I wanted to dive into. Sure. Um, on the technology piece, because we've talked a lot about running businesses and teams and things like that, but on mm-hmm. the actual specific technology side of it. Um, how can businesses, especially small to mid-sized businesses where um, the leaders are a little bit more hands-on, how can we capitalize on the strengths of, of technology without dehumanizing the brand? And you had hit on it a little bit earlier, so I want to dive into mm-hmm. that more. Mm-hmm. How, how do people actually do that? So that's, that's certainly a great question because uh, technology is expensive, right? Uh, one thing that I would dare say, the lion's share of folks that will hear this podcast can leverage no matter the size of the organization. And when I say that, I mean even the very large okay. ones. Yeah. So that specifically the smaller ones. Office 365, I, I dare say probably more than 60, could be more than 70% of the listeners are utilizing it today. But they're only utilizing it for three or four components that we all grew up with, Word, PowerPoint, Excel, and Outlook. Yeah. Um, today you get over, it's close to 30 softwares included in that subscription. Uh, leveraging those to automate processes inside of a department. So a lot of times when we build custom applications, the way that I reference it is, you're automating all of the client-facing objectives, Mm. but you already have technology that you could automate what happens inside of your department. Mm. So leveraging SharePoint as an example, or even Microsoft Forms to push and pull data back from the field or run analysis against a contract verification, or let's just say something that um, you have a big supplier, you buy most of your stuff from them on a monthly basis, and when the bill comes in, somebody's got to reconcile it. Hope to goodness you're cutting POs on that. But you can upload those two things to SharePoint, which is a software likely everyone's already paying for, Probably. and it, instead of looking at the 100%, you're only looking at the 20%, right? Because something, that the macro that you created told you Everything else is good. The max, your, your negotiated pricing, but you need to look at this 20% down here. So what you're doing by doing that is increasing capacity for those team members in those departments. And if you get enough of that going, now you're, you either are able to grow and not add additional staff, you're able to leverage all of the acumen that's built in it, or 
you now can leverage some of that technology and also the time to spend more time face-to-face with your clients because you're not just pushing paperwork anymore. Mm-hmm. So not an expensive endeavor. You probably already have the tech, more technology than you could ever need inside your organization. Take a good hard look at what you've already invested in. And if you don't have a partner, we'd be happy to, to chat, mm-hmm. of course, right. on how to leverage that so that ultimately you can spend more time with your clients and not just doing rudimentary recurring tasks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Speaking of that particular angle, it's interesting because you and I talked about this. We've got a managed services company that's in place with our company already, but we're not leveraging that. We have Office 365, and you seem to have this, what I would call the big ocean, lots of fish mentality of it's an abundance. You don't have to own everything to be happy. You work in well. You you play well with others. Um, oh sure. And and but you can bring value if somebody's not already doing that or that's not their expertise. You're you're quite happy. Like hey, we'll we'll come in alongside and help you um, get more horsepower out of an engine that's already there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I think is really powerful because it, from a technology standpoint, think about um, most technology, even my iPhone, I'm probably using 5% of it. That's probably fair. Yeah. Yeah. So approaching the managed services piece from a position of pursuing why. We use Outlook. Why? There's a bunch of email programs. I prefer to use mail. Why do I prefer to use mail? It's lightweight, right? And I use a lot of Macs. Of course, I use Windows as well. Outlook's great for heavy lifting, but everyone gets a ton of email these days, which is a horrible right. way to communicate. Um, but it, so the managed services piece, yes, we have to keep it going. And we have all the brain power down on, on the other wing of SeedSpark that keeps systems going. And they're really, really good at it. Um, where we challenge them on an everyday basis is how we can get to be more proactive to get out in front of any potential issue before it happens because we want to mitigate any impact to the end user. But where a passion lies as an organization is understand why you have the software in the first place. Yes. And if you have it, let's use it for all that you can use it for to right. squeeze and wring as much value as you can. I don't know of anyone else who approaches it that particular way until you get into like major big consultancies, yeah. right? So here you have someone who's going to make it keep going and keep it up and running, try their very best to mitigate any impact to the end user, knowing that at, at a root level there will be some impact. But then let's spend our time and focus not on the break-fix stuff, but let's understand why they have the software they do um, before the, you go and build a big custom app or. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's a good saying, uh, no one's ever gotten fired for buying Salesforce. How many folks do you know that really use Salesforce to the, to the nth degree? <laughs> no. I don't know anyone. Right. No, I don't, right. And I'm kind of in the space, yeah. right? So a lot of times when we're engaged, I want to understand why you have what you have today. And can we leverage it for more than you are today before you go and have to invest in more technology? Okay. So you're being proactive and, and preventative of, of future issues instead of reacting to everything. Because you're sure. looking at where we are now and how do we be proactive with the tools we already have. That you already have, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I would dare say everyone has probably 
50% more they could get out of technology they've already invested in. Yeah. They're not spending more money. That number's probably low. Yeah. And the good thing about that, everyone's already trained. Like yeah. small businesses growing into medium-sized businesses, this is it comes up all the time. We need to go get an ERP. Right. Right. They they're running on QuickBooks today. Right. The the struggle that they tend to have with QuickBooks is because they begin to try to use it at a very early age. This happens operationally, which is conventional sense an ERP is operations with accounting. Right. A lot of times HR as well. Right. You've got those modules built right. in. But you've got a staff of five or ten folks that know the ins and outs and everything, and all your items are set up, and you have just a lot of resources that can run the accounting side of your business, but now we're going to disrupt all that. We're probably going to have 40% attrition. We're going to pay 100K, maybe 200K for the CRP. You're going to pay at least that amount getting it implemented, exactly. and then you're going to still use about 20% of it. Oh, but now you've reduced the depth of market for resources. That's right. right. When you're 40% attrition, you don't get to hire back at that same level for, out of this big old market. Now it's this big of a market, and you got to pay twice as much for everybody. Mm-hmm. So you become beholden to those yeah. people as well. There's just it, it, it makes a lot of sense to kind of pause and, and take a look at while we are where we are, how can we leverage what we have a little bit more? And with integration the way it is today, leverage components that will communicate with your core systems that, that you already have all the training and stability in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean that's that's a lot for these uh, these listeners to unpack. I'm I'm digesting it as we're talking, mm-hmm. right? And and if people just a few of the, the highlights that that I think people can take away are the under truly understanding your teams, right? Getting to understand who they are, how they tick, how they communicate best, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, figuring out how to truly empower people on a deep level mm-hmm. and how that helps things not only of implementation of your business but also the uh, the lack of attrition, the loyalty, the stickiness, things like that, um, and then leveraging the current technologies, right? Those are easily a few of the top highlights that people can take today and implement. Right? Two core goals. What's that? Two core goals. Competitive advantage and intellectual value. <laughs> Why do I pay more for Apple than I do for Windows? Right. right. You can do that in your own business, and likely you already have the technology today. Yeah. yeah. No, that's perfect. Um, all right, I think that's probably the right spot for us to uh, to stop on, or at least pause, right? We may do a follow-up on this, but um, where can uh, we send people? Where do you want them to go to either learn more about you, communicate, check out some of the businesses, whatever you want. We'll uh, you say it here, and then we'll also put it in the show notes. Yeah, sure. For, you know, Obviously, LinkedIn is a, a wonderful platform to understand the who of someone. Yep. Uh, and then seedspark.com is the best place to go and check out to get access to all the great talent here. Perfect. I appreciate it. Thanks yeah, for your guys' thank time. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Chat's great to have you. It's great. Love it.